When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report, here on a Tuesday, January 22nd from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show's bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts on Spotify or really wherever you get your podcasts as well as at londonbridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437 or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, controversy and chaos, heartache and happiness highlight championship Sunday in the National Football League. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that was a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics, both on the field and on the hardwood, as I took my first journey to Cameron Indoor Stadium to watch the Duke Blue Devils host the Virginia Cavaliers, thankfully come out victorious. The atmosphere was incredible, the scenery was incredible, the whole trip was incredible, and everything I could have hoped it was, but the listeners probably aren't as interested in that as they are as what happened on the football field, the National Football League Championship Sunday has happened. Some of the results disappointing, some of the results controversial, maybe some of the results went exactly as folks predicted it to, but two exciting games that end up in overtime, two exciting games that were pretty much close throughout, at least in the second half, and one exciting game left to go. Plenty to get into, that's why we're here. Hope you're as excited to start spinning through this as I'm sure, hopefully, people are to listen about it. But the big question is off of all of this, folks, is John Tiny Lund now a converted Cameron crazy after his Saturday night appearance in Cameron Indoor Stadium and a thrilling uh, two-point victory by the Dukies against previously undefeated Virginia in a terrific game that I watched and was looking for you but I just I couldn't pick you out amidst the crazy. Yeah, I have not checked the tape yet to see if I was on in-game. I actually was on College Game Day, was there for their first jaunt of the season. There is one brief couple seconds where you can see me in a shot where the cameraman went to catch a couple of Virginia fans who were brave enough to attend the celebration before the game. You can see me standing in the background there in a black shirt, which probably doesn't help my cause. But there was a brief, literal 1.5 seconds of fame. I'm not sure if I had 15. I haven't been able to rewatch the game yet. But it's everything you would expect it to be from what you see on TV and what people tell you about. The place gets loud in the fourth, I should say the second half, when Duke pulled ahead by six. Then they're close to double digits. During the timeouts, the place was going bananas with the different songs that they're playing and the different chants that they do. When things are going good, you know it and you can hear it. And when things are going maybe bad and the crowd has to get up a little bit on the defensive end, it's just as loud as well. So it was a great experience. Great to see those guys do their thing and come out with a victory. But it's amazing to see just how quick the game is. You forget when you're watching... Things might look a little slow or they might look too big on the court or too small on the court, depending on how you're able to view things, how quick they're able to move, how fast they can drive to the basket and how much physicality there is possession to possession really makes you yeah, appreciate that, what you're seeing. That, that is something that people don't really 
understand and can't appreciate unless you're literally at the game. When, before we get to the football, folks, we'll just touch on this real quick. It, what, what you don't realize when you're not watching it in your living room is that even at the college level, the size of the 10 guys on the court in the confined area that they have to move around in. Because remember, they're not covering 94 feet. You have these 10 guys in about a 35-foot length of area, uh, which is not nearly as, as wide as it is deep. And it, it, well, it, it, actually wider than it is deep, excuse me, because it's only about 35 feet. And that's pretty much, you know, the area within which they move in the half-court offense. And these are big bodies. And until you're there and watch what goes on, off of screens, fighting for position in the painted area, you can't begin to imagine the banging and the physicality these guys pound each other with literally on every, it's even much more so in an NBA game where they're even bigger and even stronger. But the level of physical contact and the continu- continual physical contact uh, is something you can't appreciate at home on television. And then there's the plays that get on SportsCenter, the top tens, the top fives, the number ones, the dunks or the steals or the blocks. And sometimes when you're watching at home, you can almost see that play unfolding before it does, especially on maybe a breakaway or something. You know that something special is going to happen or an attempt at something special will. When Zion got the ball and split, it was a one-on-four, basically. And for him to be able to split the defenders that tried to take the ball away, go up to the basket, and then throw it down with his offhand, his right hand, with someone jumping with him for an end one. That was a play where you're seated, and it starts happening. You stand up, and you think, there's no way this is going to happen because of what you're seeing in front of you. There's not the overhead of maybe the spacing of the play. You're just thinking he, he's just at least going to maybe go up with a finger roll and it's going to fall short because he's going to fall out of bounds with this guy there. Nope. Throws it down. The place goes bananas. And then, of course, it, there's a timeout. The play stops. They have to go over. And that we were talking off air is, is one of the things that slows the experience down slightly is the TV timeouts because you're so wrapped up in how quick and fast-paced everything is then before you know it, whistles are blowing. Okay, it's time to sit down. And before you know it, four or five minutes passed, and you're wondering, okay, when are we going get to back, get back out here? So I'm always impressed, too, by the guys that are at the free throw line or there's a continuation of whatever they did. They have to erase that for a brief second, get whatever the plays are going on for four or five minutes, then refocus of, okay, that's right, I'm on the free throw line. That's the only downside. I know why it has to be done, obviously, but just based on the viewing experience, when you're so wrapped up in the game itself, sometimes it hurts when it's like, okay, we got to stop for a second and get back up for this in about five. Yeah. As an SU alum, obviously, I'm a little Zioned out, but that was an extraordinary play. An extraordinary play. For him to go the length of the court, uh, go up with his right hand in traffic, and you know, get fouled and have his right hand be basically pulled backwards, uh, or the attempt to pull it backwards, and still slam it down with the right hand was, uh, it was an extraordinary play. Um, and lastly, on the game, for the people that want to know how loud it is or the size of the gym, the interesting part as well is the play seats 9,300 plus. So there's a good chance in life if you've ever gone to a Division three game or a D2 game, D1 games at smaller schools, maybe even high school, you've been in a gym like this where it's bleachers on either side and then there's an upper deck with rows that go back a little bit. The atmosphere is very tight. It's not only tight when you're sitting right up against the people that are next to you in front and in back of you, similar to how a a crowded train car would be. There's not many places to move once you do get seated, and you're not going anywhere if you're sitting in those first sections until halftime. There's nowhere to go. You're gonna, it'll take you longer to try and get out than it would to just wait till the half or till there's an opportunity for you to move with the crowd out of where you are. But that helps with what makes do great and what gives them an advantage at home, and that's the loudness and the incredible excitement that you get as a player, as a fan, 
you, you can't really put into words that feeling of euphoria that you're given from the people that are there to cheer you on or sometimes to boo if there's enough fans that travel. But that's what I think makes that special. I'm sure there's probably some that think, why don't they just knock this place down and build a 50,000-seat arena? There's, they're going to fill the place out regardless how much money they would make. But there is something to the uniqueness and, and sticking with the old schoolness of that place and not giving in to we want the newness of everything and the biggest of everything. There's something to keeping it the way it's been that makes it one of the hottest tickets in town when college football's around. College basketball, that is. And, and, and it's great that, because this is the way it shouldn't be. Or this, this is the way it should be. You, people constantly getting up. You should be down, watch the damn game. You're, you go to a sporting event, you get driven nuts by people who never sit down. They're up, they're back, they're forth. They, you know, sit down and watch the damn game. Uh, you know, I'm sure there probably weren't even too many people on their cell phones. No, uh, and, and we, not to brag, we were close enough to the Duke bench that there was an assigned security guard during the TV timeouts that would come over and stand next to the tail end of where the players ended out surrounding Coach K, and he would just be staring into the crowd looking, looking at us to see if we yeah. had our cell phones out and were zoomed in or anywhere close to looking near the Duke bench because there is a chance you could be recording and catch yep. something and send it to somebody on the other squad. So exactly. it was very interesting to see that as well, so, where there's timeouts, but that, everybody's paying all, all, attention. You go in there, only the strong survive. Oh, yeah, like the Syracuse Orange, who went in last week I, I knew and pulled coming. off the stunner in overtime, coming. I might add, self-promotion, uh, SU, class of 80, my first year, the old man, Coach Bayham's first year. On to the football we go. Where Perfect segue. For the, first, for the first time in the history of the National Football League, uh, since we've had a Super Bowl with league and conference championships, both games, first the NFC and then the AFC, go into overtime uh, on an extraordinary Sunday, to say the least, with outcomes up for grabs, controversial calls everywhere you looked, some fabulous performances, some not-so-fabulous performances, some very, very, very questionable coaching strategy. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, we find the New England Patriots one more time. Uh, Belichick and Brady in their ninth Super Bowl together. Uh, we'll see uh, how they fare in a couple weeks. But it really was truly an extraordinary day for the NFL on many fronts. And in a way, good for them that it's hard to find a starting point as to what game you want to start with first. But unfortunately, bad for them in that a negative in one of the games sort of overshadowed the day, and that's in the Saints and Rams game when a non-called pass interference and or helmet-to-helmet -helmet controversial play was left on the field. No flags were called. At that point in the game for the Saints on a third and ten would have resulted in a first down. As Sean Payton said after the game, three knees were kicking the field goal and we're going home to the Super Bowl. He's pretty much right in that assessment, it seemed, and the league office let him know after the game that he was very much right in being disappointed that there was no call because, as they said, there should have been pass interference and there should have been helmet to helmet. There's uh, well, a lot of arguments to be made that that one play did not lose the game, and we know that's 100% true because the Saints go into overtime, get the ball first, and have an opportunity to make us quickly forget about that and prove that it doesn't matter. We're still the better team. That could happen, and we can overcome it. That wasn't the case, but that's going to be the play that's talked about, not probably remembered about, because there's been a lot of these throughout the years that kind of just get swept under the rug, but unfortunate for them, especially now in a second season, having their, their year end on a play that you think is improbable at the time and something that you hope won't be the decider for your season. 
Well, I'm going to give you my overview uh, because it's not nearly as friendly to the Saints as yours is. Number one, I, I'm going to put away the helmet-to-helmet crap here, all right? Because that, in, in my mind, that never even came into play. Uh, that, that was such a bang-bang, no pun intended, play that I never even thought helmet-to-helmet. Even when I saw the replay, I didn't think helmet-to-helmet. He came in almost face-first with some helmets, some shoulder. Okay, you want to be technical about it? Okay, helmet-to-helmet was never in my mind. Was it interference? Absolutely. No doubt about it. Was it the worst call I've ever seen? The most heinous missed call I've ever seen? Absolutely not. What was heinous, what was inexcusable, what was moronic was Sean Payton's play calling that led to that and Sean Payton's conduct in the postgame press conference. What are you doing? What we criticized the Atlanta Falcons two years ago after the Julio Jones catch said, what are you doing throwing the ball? Line up, run the ball three times, kick your field goal to take a two-score lead, and you win the Super Bowl. Well, what did Sean Payton do? He had the ball after a long completion, which should have been intercepted, where Drew Brees threw a wounded duck deep down the right side that was played perfectly until it was time to play the ball. And somehow, some way, the man with the hands of stone, all right, Junior came back, Teddy Ginn made the catch, all right, and lo and behold, the game should be virtually over. All the hot shots got to do, all the incredibly ego stuffed Sean Payton has to do, the man who begged all week long for his crowd to help him win the game, right? And I hate that freaking building. And I'm sick of the people who can't hear in that in that building and can't run plays because that crowd in that dumbass dome of theirs, that dump that they should have blown up after the hurricane, all right, wrecks games. It's the only reason they win there all the time because of the crowd, and they pipe in more noise to make to make matters worse. But regardless, he's got the game on a platter. He's got the game completely under his control. Run, run, run. Timeouts are done. And if you haven't gotten a first down, you kick the field goal. You kick off. They've got 45 seconds to go and no timeouts. But no, 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 no. you got to be cute. The same way you got to be cute with number seven running him in on 15 different plays. You know, they accomplished absolutely nothing, except except you threw him a three-yard screen pass for a touchdown that I could have caught running. All right? What does he do to the game all the time? Why? Sean Payton's ego gets in the way all the time. All the time. And then, after he blows the game, and he literally blew the game, he kissed it away because he couldn't do what he was supposed to do. He has the unmitigated goal to get up there on the podium and bitch about that. And the first thing he said, tough loss, I was on the phone. I don't know you're on the phone with the league office. Like I give a rat's ass. You blew the game. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror, coach. You gave it away. What were you doing throwing the ball on first down? What could you possibly be thinking? Run the ball. Make them spend their timeouts. You take a three-point lead. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario, 45 seconds to go after the chippy fuel. Not you. You got to show everyone what a genius you are by running a little, uh, what, a little dump over the middle that your hotshot quarterback who's washed up throws it into the ground. And he sucked all day. He was awful. Missed guys left and right. He's got a dead arm. He can't throw the ball deep anymore. And lo and behold, as a result, you only have a three point lead, but without much time left, much more than it should have been. And your defense. Can't keep the Rams from going down the field and kicking a game tying field goal when their play calling was very questionable after they got in field goal range. So you had no one to blame for that loss but yourself, coach, because if you did what you were supposed to do, which was coach to win instead of coaching to show everybody how smart you are, that play would have never happened. That play would have never come a calling. That call would have evaporated. It would have gone boom in the night. But what did you have to do? You had to show us your Sean Payton again. The coaching genius. The offensive guru. Watch for number seven in the game. And throw the ball to him. You know, to whatever his name is. The Tasmanian Devil Hill. All right. Who does nothing. Except fumble handoffs. All right. Run the wrong way. 
in a car. You know, they, they had to waste the time out because they didn't know where to line up. Guy's more trouble than he's worth, but Sean's got to get him in there because, you know, like Georgia, we just got to, got to get these guys in. Why? Why? Drew Brees is so good. Why is he playing quarterback? You're better with this guy at quarterback than you are Drew Brees? What, are you kidding me? So you piss that game away, and then you blame the officiate. Shame on you. You're a team that in 2009, 10 years ago, went to the Super Bowl by a whistle that was totally in your favor when your defensive coordinator got suspended because he put hits out on Brett Favre. There were half a dozen different calls in that game that could have been 15-yard penalties. None of them were called. And then in overtime, you win on a bogus interference penalty in your own building. So what goes around comes around. You went to a Super Bowl and won it on an official's call. You're home on an official's call. In which case, in, which never should happen, if not for you. I have not one, one ounce of sympathy for Sean Payton, for the New Orleans Saints, or for the New Orleans fans. The better team won that game and is going to the Super Bowl. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I've been looking forward to that since the final whistle. (laughs) And it lived up to the hype because everything you say is correct. And we talked about this last week. Don't get cute with your offense. Just do what you do best or what's worked best for you throughout the season. I should phrase it like that. Don't put in number seven. Don't try these shimmy plays and these show-off plays and these hook That's nice, okay, but you're better off not even worrying about it. And sure enough, that first down, you've got two of the best running backs in football as a combination that you can hand the ball off to to kill clock, assume they won't fumble, and you decide to throw it. And it's one of those... We're, just, we're throwing this, and it's, it's a throw that's exactly like a run. We're just putting it in our quarterback's hands. That's a play that's designed to just get you that one to two yards, and you're immediately going to get tackled. We see it time and time again. It's nice when it's the first quarter, and you're just trying to get a little momentum. Maybe you call that play when you're doing a hurry-up offense. That's not the time for it. Run the ball. You have the players to run the ball better than that, and you don't do it. Granted, it comes down to a play that should have taken away that mistake and that bluff. But we said it last week, don't get cute. And what happens, it comes back to bite you. You also mentioned you get into overtime and you have the football with the quarterback that everyone has deemed and has been whispered upon this year is, hey, where's Drew Brees in all of this? Where does he rank next to Tom Brady? Where is he next. going to be in the Hall of Fame? Okay. Next. Let's see. Move on. Let's see. And we throw an interception. What, this is the second play of the, of the overtime? Quite quick into it, at least. When he got, when he got blasted. He got, he got hit pretty hard. I'm confused where this Saints offense that we heard so much about to... We'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt three-quarters of the way through the season went. This 40-plus point offense, this Drew Brees doesn't have to throw it as much anymore because he has the running game. Michael Thomas. Where, where was Michael Thomas on Sunday? Didn't hear much from Michael Thomas except for after the game tweeting out the rule that would enact Roger Goodell the power where he can right. either put the game yeah. back to where it was after that play or just give the Saints the victory, right, tweeting out, that. hey, Roger Goodell, pick up the phone. Uh, well, hey, look, Michael Thomas, get in the end zone. I mean, it, it is mind-boggling. And remember, they're, on, they're completely dominating this game, and just like last week, you know, when the genius all right, got away with, because the Eagles fell asleep, uh, with the fourth-and-one fake punt, how do you give up a fourth and seven fake punt? How do you give up a fake punt on fourth and seven 
when you've got a guy back there who was known for throwing the ball to Sam Shields, who runs a great route, and then you can't tackle him. I mean, that's the balls he's calling history. Forget about his fourth and one call, all right, down a couple scores. How about down 13 nothing with absolutely nothing going, and you call a fake punt on fourth and seven from your own 30, and you have your punter throw the ball about 35 yards to the right side across the field, and your defensive back has still got to catch it and make a move to get the first down. Amazing. A little curious, right? <laughs> Amazing. And in that first quarter. We were waiting for that one, Sean. Where were you? In that first quarter, too, you have to score touchdowns when you have a chance to early in the postseason. You can't settle for field goals because when stuff like this happens in the fourth quarter, when these do-or-die plays happen, when these calls go the other way and not in your favor, all that comes back to bite you. And they weren't able to do more than field goals to really put the foot on the pedal, to really put the foot on their throat. Instead, 13-0, feasible for this offense, and Todd Gurley did nothing. Ten yards, he got a touchdown, of course, but four carries, ten yards, the best running back in the league, he's not something that you have to worry about, and this end result still happens. I mean, the, the sour taste that this should leave in Saints fans' mouths. It's not something that should go away probably for decades. And especially if they were to win, they get to go to Atlanta and show the Falcons fans and the Panthers fans, everyone really in their division, we here. Didn't if I, were, if Didn't I were a Saints fan, I want, want, I want my coach's head on a platter, on an absolute platter. I would be going ballistic. When they threw the ball on first down, I couldn't believe it. Because a- after the first down catch by Teddy Ginn Jr., I was just like, this game's virtually over. You know, they're going to run the ball three times. Right. They're going to run the ball three times. They're going to have about 45, 50 seconds, uh, you know, kick the field goal. And the Rams are going to have to find a way to get, you know, now, now granted, zero line, you know, he's got big leg, which he showed, because that baby would have been good from about 70. But they're going to have to get, you know, 40, 45 yards with no timeouts uh, against a pretty good Saints defense. Uh, at best, that, 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 that's your worst-case scenario. Who knows? You might score a touchdown when you're running the ball. You might get a first down. Who knows? But, you know, not the genius. Let's throw the ball on first down. Now, here is my question to you, which I'm dying to find out your answer. Fourth and goal. The real supposed new genius, the riverboat gambler, uh, Mr. Aggressive, has got a chance after a first and goal from about the six or seven. And that's when I thought, sure, we'd see Gurley and run the ball three times. But, you know, run to Anderson, uh, a scramble by the quarterback, and then Anderson is stuffed. And now you've got fourth and goal from a legitimate one, I would say. Everybody across America in the CB or the, in, in the Fox booth uh, thought that you know, Coach McVeigh is going for the lead and a touchdown in a heartbeat. And shockingly, he uh, he goes for the tying field goal to get it to 20-20. A, were you surprised? B. Did you agree? Very surprised. 100% surprised, really. I thought it was a no-brainer for that team. For that team and for that coach and for what they've done throughout the season and for what people expected them to do and from what we've seen them do, I thought that was a no-brainer that they wouldn't even think about considering kicking the field goal. Let's go for the touchdown. I'm not sure what factor could have prevented them from doing so. Gurley potentially might have been hurt. Maybe that's why, but you still have C.J. Anderson who proved a barrel. he's a barreling back. He did it against Dallas. Put your shoulder down and get the one yard for us. Maybe they thought just lowering your shoulder wouldn't have worked. It would have needed to be one of those where you jump over the line and Gurley couldn't do that. 
regardless of that either, you could just put it in your quarterback's hands and try to make something happen with him. I was surprised they didn't do it. It was definitely the safer call. As we know, it it proved to not matter. (laughs) But for, for that team, it surprised me that they decided to go that direction because if there was a team, if there were like three teams you had to put on paper, who would go for it in that spot? The Rams would be on that list. Uh, I was surprised, but I thought under the circumstances, and I understand, you know, first, first of all, it's backtrack. Everybody that I've listened to, Gauntless, how do you not go for it? All right. It you was know, like they lost the game. You're Sean McVay. You know, what are you doing? I have to be honest with you. I thought he would go for it. When he didn't go for it, I thought all the circumstances, I thought it was the right move. I thought it was the right decision. I'll tell you why. You're on the road, and you have been battling uphill the entire game. From the outset, you have been down, 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 almost out. You get back to 13-10 at the halftime, boom, it's right back to 20-10. You get it to 2017. You finally, on the road, in a huge spot, have a chance to get back where you haven't been yet. I don't even been ahead yet either, but you have a chance finally to draw even. I don't like this notion of, you know, well, if we don't make it, we leave them on the one-yard line. Well, you know what that means? That there's a possibility you think you won't make it. I want the sure thing. I want the points. I want a tie game. Reward my defense, who has done a tremendous job the entire game, keeping me in it by making sure when they go back on the field, they're, they're, they're finally not behind. I thought it was the absolutely positively right thing to do in that spot get even his defense was the best team on the field yesterday number 99 on his defense was the best player on the field yesterday and i'm going to reward my defense and make sure the next time they go out there we're back to even and i don't know if any of that went through his mind but it went through my mind and i thought it was the right decision Yeah, it wasn't one that I hated. I was just surprised that he didn't do it just because that would have been the non-surprising thing. Well, of course he's going to go for it here. But you're right. In the circumstances, hey. I I, I also think that what you brought up is a very good point. If he's got a healthy girly there that he's got confidence in, then maybe it's just give the ball to girly. Because remember, girly battered it in at, at the end of the first half right? and looked fine on that run. So I don't know what, what happened to him. On the bike, said he was okay. Post-game said, I didn't deserve to be in. I played lousy. You know, I, I give the guy credit for standing up. Yeah. You know, and, and calling a spade a spade if that was the case. I don't know. Because you remember on, on, on that drive, which started back a long way away, that drive started with a girly six-yard run, and right. that was the last he was. It was the last time he was in for the drive. Right. Memory serves me correct. Um, so I, I, I was surprised, but I thought it was a coach who had the handle on time and place and circumstance, and I thought all those things considered, it was the right decision. And that's not because they won the game. All right, because I have no idea then if they were going to win the game. But I thought it was the right decision in that spot to get it to 2020. Two quick things, two questions I have left from this game. The first one is there will be a lot of uproar from the non-call for the pass interference, as there should be. Do you think this is something that the NFL will look into and something, whether or not they'll look into it is one thing, but something that you think needs to be a reviewable call, pass interference just on its face, or now just 
penalties in general, depending on where they fall within the game. Did you have any thoughts on what we might be doing now with penalties well, and their reviews? What, what I have thought for years is since the interference call is the most damaging call in all of sports uh, for a number of reasons. And the one that you know always gets me is you know the the, the 45, 50 yard uh, interference call on the defense when it really isn't there. Right. Um, that results in putting the ball at the one yard line and giving the team a touchdown. Where you know you even if there is interference, I could never quite understand the rule because you're assuming the guy's going to catch the ball, and catching the ball is not the easiest thing to do in traffic that far away. So I have been a proponent for a very long time of the college rule. All right. uh, spot foul, and if it's the spot is more than 15 yards uh, down the field, it's 15 yard penalty or after the distance of the goal. Uh, I don't believe in giving putting the ball at the one yard line uh, or 55, 60 yard penalties. I just don't believe. Uh, you know, and people are well, they're going to drag, you know, they're going to drag him. They drag him down now anyway. They've been dragging him down for years. As soon as guys get beat, they drag a guy, they drag a guy down. They take the illegal contact out. Well, that was what he was doing there in that instance. He knew you know, that if he let him go by, that was going to be a touchdown and the game's over. So I, uh, he's not catching this ball. And he admitted after the game. That was P.I. You know, it's, you know, and the illegal contact, the holding and illegal contact is only five yards. But I do believe uh, it will be looked into. I don't know if they can, you know, you know interference is a judgment call, uh, but so are a lot of calls in sports, you know, uh, but it's not a rule call, so to speak, safe out, just a vision call. It's a judgment call. Um, so much goes into it about letting guys play. Uh, some guys are more ticky-tack on it than others. I like to let them play a little bit. I prefer that they let them play a little bit. I don't mind a little jostling. So I, I don't know how they're going to determine how you overturn it or not. That's the thing. You, know, you can give a coach another challenge. You want to give a coach a wild card challenge? You want to just give him three cut? You want to just give him three challenges? You want to have the last two portion of, of the uh, of the game just go upstairs anytime there's a questionable call and have New York review everything? Uh, I don't like that. I think it would slow the game down far too much. I think replay is is handled terribly now as it is because it takes far too long and calls are being looked at that are so minuscule that we could just have a play on so many times. Uh, you know, we haven't gotten to the Patriot game yet where there was so much of that, uh, where replay just took over. But I, I think, you know, to answer your question, it will seriously be looked into, uh, because of the gravity of the call, uh, in this game, because such a stink has been made about it by the saints, even though, uh, they were in a position to completely control, that game and their coach gave away that control by his moronic decisions and play calling. Uh, but I think it will be looked into and probably something will come of it, whether it's an additional challenge or everything being reviewable within a particular framework. Uh, maybe not the entire game, but in the last two minutes, right. or the last five minutes, I, I think something's going to come of it. Yes. It would take a lot, I think, though, for them to decide, as you mentioned, what is going to constitute either reversing a pass interference or calling a pass interference. What play has to happen? Is it just solely focused on the receiver that's getting the ball thrown to him? Because we know there are pass interferences that are called or holds that are called on the opposite side of the field. It's not just where the ball is in that specific instance. I think it would be very hard to put the bullet points together to say, okay, if X, Y, Z happens, we could challenge it. And then we're looking to see if X, Y, Z happens for us to either reverse it or call it. I hated that call not being able to go to review because it seemed like such an easy switch. But there's going to be so many instances where you're just saying, like, this could have went either way. We're going to have to stick with it on the field. How long are they going to get to look at these things? Like, should there be a time limit of, okay, if in 30 seconds you can't tell it was pass interference or not, do you have to look at it in real time and take that in consideration? There's so much for them to have to answer. I'd like to see it changed, but I think it would be incredibly difficult to get something that people would be in agreement upon of, okay, obviously, 
something along the lines of that. I think it would become even complicated, just as complicated as catches have now been, of what's a catch, what's not. It's, it should be easy, but it's not in the National Football League. We know that. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Two, though, from this game is, we mentioned this already, two years in a row, speaking of two, that the Saints have had their season end on somewhat miraculous and improbable plays. Adam Schefter put out on Twitter that this was the most unlucky two-year occurrence in NFL history, that the Saints were the team that had the worst luck for the past two years and, and have their seasons ended in the NFC Championship game. As a seasoned sports veteran and viewer, first team that just came to your mind when I said that as the, uh, it was obviously this team that had the worst ends to their season in back-to-back years or three to four to five years? The Cleveland Browns, the drive and the fumble. There you I go. Mean, there you go. And two real quick after that, the two years that is, uh, how about that team that made the Super Bowl four years in a row, two of which came in back-to-back years with some of the most crushing losses you could have in a Super Bowl. I think that might have topped my list too. The the poor yeah, but Buffalo those, Bills. But, 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 but those were destructive losses. True. You know, I, I mean, where you had no chance to win. Uh, Some of them. I, the, 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 Brown, the Browns, I mean, you know, 98-yard drive, third and 18, uh, you know, got the ball back to start the overtime. Um, I still don't think Rich Carlos's field goal was good in overtime, be that as it may. Um you know, and then the next year, Ernest Biner's on his way in uh, to basically send that game in overtime, and you know, gets uh, gets ripped out by the. Uh, I think it was the hideous Jeremiah Castile that uh, you know re- really didn't touch anybody all day, but the only thing he touched was the football on that play because he couldn't tackle you know a tackling dummy. Um, and uh, I, I would I would put those two right there with him because there were two championship games recently too uh, someone had commented on his tweet the 49ers the richard sherman like deflected pass against the seahawks the giants against them they had that run more recently and the, and the, and the super bowl pain. against the Ravens. right pain <laughs> so so you know uh, I, I mean let's not count our chickens like we like to do adam's got to wake up he's right. got to wake up all right. To me, there's, there was nothing, you know, like I said, and, and I can't stress it enough. And I know it sounds like I'm being, you know, beating a dead horse here, but I, I can't stand it when these coaches are made out to be geniuses, to be like the second coming, uh, all knowing, all seeing, because they got a card in front of them and they're innovative offensive coaches. And, you know, you, you, you call an onside kick to start a second half and you win a Super Bowl and you're a coaching genius. You, know, you play half your games inside a play. You play a high percentage of the other ones in good weather or inside. You rarely go outside. Most of the time you go outside, you lose. And you're a different team outside. So I, I hold those guys up to a much harsher uh I, I, I have much harsher criticism for them because they've been raised to this level that I don't think they deserve to be at. Sean Payne's won one Super Bowl. Doesn't make him a great coach. And I don't think he's a great coach. I think he's a good coach, like a lot of other coaches. And I think what he did yesterday was one of the dumbest decisions I've ever seen in my many 50 plus years of watching NFL football. Would, right you, rate it, what, would you rate it above the Seahawks? No, no, no. The, that's the dumbest. Okay. That's the dumbest of all I'm, time. All right. It's close, though, too. That's the unfortunate well, well, part of Sean it's, it's right there. It's right there with Atlanta. It's right there with Atlanta after Julio Jones' catch 
for the first down against the Patriots a couple of years ago to put them in chippy field goal range for the field goal that would have put them up by two scores. And then they throw the ball and they get sacked. And lo and behold, they're out of field goal range and gives the Patriots the opportunity to go down the field and tie the game with a touchdown two-point conversion. That was equal, equal lunacy. Um, one was a Super Bowl. One was a conference championship game. But this seemed like it was even so much more in hand because there was even less time remaining where you, you could have taken it down to 45 seconds. Uh, ballpark. And again, that was a worst case scenario. If you didn't score a touch, if you didn't get a first down, everything was within your control. By throwing the football, you gave up control. What's the most important element of the game? The ability to control. He gave up a control freak. Gave up control. Inexcusable. Inexcusable. Everything that comes after that, they created. Everything bad that happened to them after that decision is a result of that decision and would not have happened if not for that decision to throw the ball on first down. So it's all of their coaches making. Well, now we have about six minutes or so to talk about good control coaching genius greatest quarterbacks of all time and wrap that into a bow with the ninth Super Bowl appearance for Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and we'll spend a lot of time next week breaking all this down and the legacy and the pomp and circumstance oh joy oh rapture oh great another time Tom Brady's in the Super Bowl what I find interesting and we mentioned this last week this narrative that was even said after the game, you could hear Tom Brady and Chris Hogan chatting it up about, nobody believed in us, you're too slow, I'm too old, our offense was... In the regular season, there were several times that the Patriots did look vulnerable. Through injury and through game plan, they did not look as good as we have seen them play football in the past two decades under Tom Brady. That does not mean that once they got to the postseason... They would not be able to play the football we expect them to play come January and come late into January. And it showed again when they faced the Kansas City Chiefs, young Patrick Mahomes, being able to hold that Chiefs offense scoreless in the first half, being able to hold that Chiefs defense without a sack for the entire game. And mind you, Brady has not yet been sacked in the postseason. Oh, by the way. Being able to do all those things and then in the game's highest moments, flip the switch, look everybody in the eye, many of whom have been with Brady in these exact moments, and go, well, here we go again. Let's do our thing. And everyone in the stadium, Tony Romo in the booth, us on our couches, could just pinpoint where Brady's going to throw, who he's going to rely on, and what the end result is going to be. Game, set, match. The New England Patriots, yet again, come back and advance to the Super Bowl. And it's funny that we have a situation, yet again with Tom Brady, where the ball bounced in the perfect way again. Because if the gentleman on the Chiefs does not go offsides or line up offsides. Poor D didn't know where he was on the field. If he is not offsides, Tom Brady finishes the game with just one touchdown, three, three interceptions, interceptions, a poor yardage total. And granted, they were trying to run the ball down the Chiefs' throats, which they successfully did, mind you, as well. But the final line for him would have been ugly. The storyline would have switched on its head to, is this the end of Tom Brady and the dynasty that once is and was? Instead, DeFord, we continue. DeFord, DeFord, DeFord. What were you possibly thinking? Where was the courtesy 
help from the line judge. That is true, too. They, he was on the other usually, side of the field, they, of course. They usually give you a, a courtesy step back. What was D looking at? He was looking right at the ball. Had no impact on the play. So on the other side of the field, we're talking about three interceptions, a game-losing interception, a ball off of Gronk's hand, and Kansas City going to the suit. The game was over. 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 Three interceptions for the not-goat. A ball off the fingertips of the not-goat tight end. His two best guys, Edelman and Gronk, would have had tipped interceptions. What happened? Correct. Oh, Correct. We, we Correct. missed it. Correct. And they're done. And they're home. And it's over. But no. By the grace of a kid lining up offsides, a couple of nice calls in their favor, a phantom, and I mean phantom, an inexplicable roughing the passer call that instead of a uh, third down results in automatic first down, uh, a questionable non-overturn on the Hogan catch on third down, which I thought should have been an overturn, but close. Uh, they drive down, and they wind up taking the lead. Uh, don't use enough time, and the young magician takes his team right back down the field to game-tying field goal. But, you know, as always, as usual, seemingly, uh, the bounces go their way despite the fact that they lost the turnover the battle. Uh, despite the fact that they gave up 31 points in the second half, uh, despite the fact that they couldn't hold a lead. Once again, for the ninth time in the Belichick and Brady era, they find themselves on the way to the Super Bowl. Dear God. Did I think they were the better team yesterday? Probably. Uh, do I think they're a better team than the Chiefs? No. Uh, what people seem to forget when they rave about this New England offensive line and the great job they did yesterday, they were playing against the 31st ranked defense in the National Football League. That defensive line stinks. They haven't been able to stop the run or anybody all year long. In every game they've lost, they haven't been able to get that one stop that they needed. That one stop, they couldn't get it. They got it yesterday. And they were offside. Well, they, they got stop. another one, too. And, and here, here were two red flag points if you're a Kansas City Chiefs fan of what could have been. Tom Brady inexplicably throws the ball for one of the interceptions that he threw I, to I, could, I couldn't I couldn't believe the call. No. It, it, the, the way they were running the ball, not. again, again, that's a get too cute. The way they were running the ball, I, I just couldn't I could not believe that call. Nope. And, and it never goes the wrong way, but this time it does. An interception. The momentum immediately swings. The Chiefs go three and out. Okay. Later down in the game, the Patriots decide to run it now. Fourth down and one. They run instead of throwing to Burkhead. The Chiefs make the stop. The momentum again swings completely. Three and out. Three and out. Three and out. And, and as and as and as great as the Chiefs' offense has been, as Three impressive out. as the comeback was to get them in the position to win, as much as we wanted to see Patty Mahomes come out there in overtime, whether he received the toss or the defense was able to hold the Patriots to a field goal at at most, those two swings you have to take advantage of, even if it was just three points, even if it was to advance the ball to the middle of the field where a punt would maybe at least punt, put the Patriots back. Those, those opportunities are ones you need to take advantage of with this team. And unfortunately that didn't happen. And you need those bounces to go your way in that situation. Three and out. That's, that's the game. It, they, they had really a tremendous comeback because, you know, you didn't know if they could come back from 14, nothing. Uh, they battled back throughout the fourth quarter. Mahomes was terrific. Uh, no, they didn't score every time they touched the ball. Uh, so the pass defense deserves some credit. Uh, bottom line is that game was there and was not only there to be won, they won it. They, did. they had it won. They had it won. They 
I don't know if they made the play. They caught the deflection off of a bad, inaccurate Brady throw. And there were plenty of them yesterday. Um, and, you know, a, a just a, an unbelievable mental error in the most important of spots. And then comes overtime, and it's just third down after third down after third down. You know, I guess everybody but Bob Sutton knew that Edelman was going to get the ball <laughs> over the middle. Uh, well, and, you know, how, 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 how if Bob Sutton has a job by week's end, I'll be shocked. Yeah. Uh, nice man, great coaching history, coached the, you know, the Black Knights of the Hudson and Army. But I think it's time for Kansas City to get themselves a new defensive coordinator. I'd agree. Because, you know, how, how do you not double team Julian Edelman? on these third and longs. What do you, I mean, it's always doing that. It's Edelman over the middle, Edelman over the middle, Edelman over the middle, Edelman over the middle. How is he single cover this? Make somebody else make a play. Can you bring a linebacker or a safety for once? Can you bring a corner blitz? Can you bring more people? Something. Once in a while, can you send the ranch? Not Bob. Same vanilla defense. The last thing for me on this, as we close up, and to even switch it to the other side as well. There's the Bob Sutton. Everybody and their brother knew the ball was going to either Edelman and Gronkowski, and Tony Romo, I thought, did a fantastic job of, of having us ready for that. Not like we needed it, but prepping us to what the Patriots would do based on the defense he saw. On the other side of the ball, the Patriots made sure to double-team Tyreek Hill at every turn, which was expected. You kind of knew that would be the case. They're going to take away the two best guys, Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. All right. The Patriots weren't able to have their two best guys taken out of the game go. At, at the end, it was Gronk and it was Edelman. Tyreek Hill, one catch. Travis Kelsey, but, what, three catches, maybe at that. But, four, he had a touchdown, but where are you guys in the fourth quarter? Where are you guys games, when but, the game matters? Big games for Sammy Watkins. Oh yeah, and and yeah, Patty Mahomes and a great did a great job, job of a finding great job other by guys. Mahomes going elsewhere. You know, I mean, the offense scored enough points. The offense scored enough points. Thirty-one points in the second half. Again, you know, against the Pats defense. You know, no, no. You know, the the one short field off of what should have been you know their ball anyway, on a play that was not overturned. Not because you know I could tell, it should have been overturned because I couldn't tell. And no matter how many angles I looked at, I couldn't tell. Uh, and if I can't tell, then the play's got to stand. And I would think I would call it the same way as if they, if they said that it didn't touch them, right. then it should have been overturned because you couldn't tell. Whatever the call on the field was there, it should have stood because I couldn't unequivocally say, oh, it didn't touch them. So I saw one angle, I thought it touched them. Another angle, didn't think it did. So I don't know how that was reversed. But, you know, poetic justice, next throw off Edelman's hands. And Sorensen, the hideous safety, who is hideous, although he made you know the stop on the fourth and one play, uh, but he can't. He, he literally could not cover a statue. That kid. Um, picks it off, and, and they uh, and they take advantage. But the the genius of Belichick, his team was well prepared. Uh, they knew what they had to do. They got out early. They got the lead. They made Kansas City play from behind, and. You know, they can made their third down conversions time and time and time and time and time again. And uh, it was enough to send them uh, to send them to Atlanta to take on a Ram team that I think will pose huge problems. for them. And for all you Patriots fans, we will get more into your team next week. We've got a whole show next week to preview that said Super Bowl in Atlanta and what the Rams can and should do to beat the Patriots and what the Pats can and should do to beat the Rams more on the ins and outs of what those teams will do and what we'll see in the game. As we mentioned, a very exciting Sunday, a disappointing one in a lot of senses. But here we go. You put all that in the past. You have one week to relax a little bit, one week to get amped up a little bit. The New England Patriots are back in the Super Bowl and the new guard, St. Louis slash Los Angeles Rams, are hopefully going to take them down. But we'll, like I said, we'll talk chance, about that more next week. A, a, a chance to avenge the Super Bowl loss that started the Brady-Belichick era. And how sweet it would be to be full circle, to have that be what puts 
hopefully, a period on this long, long tenure of Bill Belichick or Tom Brady, or puts his period on it should they win, and both of them say, that's enough for us. We're moving on. We'll see you tomorrow night. Unfortunately, would it not be, would, would it not be ironic, though, if it was ended by the team against which it was started? It would be ironic, and it would taste great. Al, yes, it's always it a pleasure. Next week, we'll break it all down for everyone. Everyone, enjoy the week of sports and the rest of sports, aside from football, unless you're excited about the Pro Bowl and gamble on it and whatever else happens when that happens next week. Johnny, always my pleasure. Al from White Plains, John Tiny Lunt, until we talk to you next week. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.